Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, in what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Knapsack here, part of the Good People Association, produced in conjunction with Morning Drive Media and are now on its own YouTube channel. I hear, I hear you could make a living on the YouTube, kids. This is Casterly Talk. Uh, Ken Knapsack with you here. This is a podcast first. Well, we always roll the cameras here. Kind of look up my face. I'm going to adjust my camera here so you're not just staring into my face completely. Uh, we're adjusting on the fly. I like that there. If you're listening on the podcast and have always been listening to the podcast since the Daily Thrones days, welcome to this uh, new era. been a couple weeks into working in conjunction with the fine folks at the Good People Association, which, well, I'm one of those... Folks, I won't say I'm one of the fine folks, but that's I, I, my company that I co-launched with Mark Riley, Josh Bakuga, and Eric Bass of the band Shine Down Casually Talk. Now part of that family. Well, a lot more coming as we get ready for House of the Dragon. We are doing our Game of Thrones rewatch, which means we are right now in season two. In fact, we're finishing up our look back at season two, and we are going to after this. I think I'll take a week. And we're gonna, we'll do some. I'm going to try to do some news, catch up with the House of the Dragon and animation, all the things that uh, by now are a couple weeks, if not a couple months old. But I think it's a it's a good time. I was kind of waiting for the transition to the GPA banner to, to kind of do that. So uh, hopefully we can get some folks in here, uh, like Rachel Cushing, uh, Andres Cabrera, Lon Harris, Thomas Risling, maybe Michelle Boyd, Mark Meyer, some other folks who've been on the show in the past uh, can pop on very soon talk some of the news and also as we start to look towards season three i love having people on the show with me to look at these shows and dive into the themes and lessons um so we'll do that again soon i always do like to say uh we'll say this again if, if you're just watching uh, this is a, a look back of the show and part of the reason i'm doing this is to dive into what's presented by these episodes what is there for us to take from them to apply to the show looking back going forward uh, connecting those emotional lessons and, and, and the big the morality tale that's going on here inside Game of Thrones. I really believe in my heart that this 
this show for many was just a great show. Another one of the great shows that they watched. And maybe they didn't like the end of the show. Maybe they didn't like the final couple seasons. But it was a, it was a phenomenon. It was this big thing. And that, that's a fine way to take it in. I'm a book fan, too. And there's the book side of it. And there's that. But I, I, I've been so enjoying just focusing on what is there for us in these episodes. We say themes, though Benioff and Weiss are, are infamous uh, for talking about, ah, we don't really write with themes. I, 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 I as I say always... I agree with them. I understand where they're coming from. But I also say the themes are there. They speak for themselves. Uh, and also the lessons and also uh, how these episodes really kind of just uh, are providing the building blocks for the show, particularly the final couple seasons. I really believe that. So if you're new to the channel or just finding us uh, through the GPA, uh, welcome here. This is uh, We're not just living in the past of Game of Thrones. We're analyzing it so we can uh, look to the future, too, with other properties and, and the other books. Uh, George has uh, recently said he got, a, like a, what, he got 100 pages done during this pandemic. So God bless you, George. Get that done. We want to see your version of your own story, which I do believe is, uh, you know, uh, carries a lot of power. Um, but I do believe the show from jump, from, from day one, from episode one, did carve its own path and did try to do something slightly different because it had to. It was a different medium. And that's what we're focusing on there. We're, we're, we're digging into those themes, those lessons. Let's begin with episode 10 of season two, Valor Morgulis. Uh, what a powerful title. All men must die, right? Mm, we got a lot of that. We got a lot of that. Uh, Valor Doharis, All Men Must Serve, is going to be what launches season three, looking ahead. Uh, so now we uh, we are, uh, we, you know, you're weighing those options. Serve, die, serve, die. All the same. This original air date was June 3rd, 2012, which if I scroll down on my records, I want to look back. Season two, episode nine happened. It's the Battle of Blackwater. Uh, it, it skipped a week. And I kind of have those vague memories of... A vague memory of this one happened. No, no, this one didn't skip a week. I didn't. Okay, I'm good. I'm glad to check my notes so I don't go on the wrong path. But there was always that time because of HBO programming or the holidays, uh, some of the hot Memorial Day, I think, uh, Game of Thrones would run up against early seasons where they'd skip a week. And if you have, if you think you have a problem going week to week now and you're, and you, and you're more used to binging, imagine skipping a week in Game of Thrones, one <laughs> of these big shows. Did you enjoy, did you enjoy that? Well, next week we got a holiday motion picture event. A Game of Thrones will come back in a week. Um, so, yeah, maybe later on it happens here. I think there was one skip in this season, but I thought maybe it was this one. But no, June 3rd, 2012, original air date of this. Director Alan Taylor back again. He's all over season two. Doesn't come back to a little bit later. Betty Off and Weiss, the writers of this one, cinematographer Jonathan Freeman. A really nicely shot episode. I mean, the show's always nicely shot. Editing Francis Parker. Let's get the overall overall thoughts on this episode. This is still to uh, this uh, to this day one of my favorite finales of the show. And look, finales got to serve a purpose, just like the first episode of every season gotta serve a purpose. And and this episode is uh, very much a moving uh, the the pieces on the board for season three. It's the end of season one does the same thing. I. I love Jor Mormont marching out with uh, Jon Snow and the Night's Watch. And, you know, that's that's what these episodes have to do. we got a lot going on. We've got a lot of players. we just got a big 
giant battle, and the board is kind of a little rattled, and the pieces are going to be reset. And 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 in that, and in that just kind of just kind of basic serves a function episode, you get this great episode with great moments and my favorite ending of a finale. Uh, really is. I think that still holds up for me. I, you know, it, I, I don't like to seriously rank things. I just like to take it all in. But the episode, this episode ends with uh, a chilling moment, especially back then at the time, 2012. If you hadn't taken that deep dive into the books, you kind of didn't, you still were kind of finding your way with the story. Uh, that, that ending, and we'll talk about it. Still one of the best. All right, let's get into what I feel this episode is offering. As I said, we are we are setting the pieces on the board for season three. And I think this episode is about choices. Big choices. Choices that will determine your fate, your path, and your actions going forward. We're just coming off Battle of, of Blackwater Bay, which as we talked about on the previous episode of, of Casterly Talk, is a battle of perspectives. Sometimes looking at the very same thing or the very same city or the very same throne and looking at it from your perspective and that driving your actions there. Well, now a lot of those actions have been done. The battle is over. We have won, as Taiwan says. And now we have choices, the choices you're going to make going forward. And many of the choices made in this episode uh, are main players, Stepping forward, and many of the choices kind of lead to their doom. Uh, the journey is still important, whether we know it or not, but it is amazing to kind of go back and see that all of these ill-fated characters, and there's many ill-fated characters in Game of Thrones because that's just that's just the way of it. That's what <laughs> that's what it's going to be. Um, uh, only a few survive here. Yeah, uh, it is interesting to see uh, so many ill-fated characters making key big giant choices, and some of them having the actual chance to turn away from the choices that we know will lead them to their end and their doom and their death. Um, And it's also important to know that some are a push forward to hard-earned futures. Uh, A couple particularly come to mind there. We'll dive into it right here. Um, So, uh, yeah, again, uh, Valor Margulis, all men must die, and all these men and women make key choices underneath that ominous heading. It is all truly lead to all men must die. Uh, one of the, uh, we, this episode begins with uh, Tyrion. He, uh, I think Tyrion's the only one that uh, doesn't necessarily have a, a really uh, on the table, on the board choice to make. He is in bed. He is injured. Book readers are wondering if they're going to cut off Peter Dinklage's face. Uh, they didn't. I don't think they were ever going to do that. I think it's addressed quite wonderfully in season three with a great line from Cersei, but we'll talk about that on that episode. Uh, but Tyrion's wrapped up. He's hurt. Uh, and he, uh, again, has a lot of choices uh, made for him. He's already made his choices, I think. Great scene, though, to open up with Pycelle. Uh, shout out uh, to Grandmaster Pycelle. Uh, get a little bit of uh, revenge on uh, Terry here. Pod, everything there. Uh, Varys, Shay. Uh, I think um, Varys has to make some choices in this scene as well, where his loyalties are. It's always to the realm, of course, but also to his own survival to go on to serve the realm. Uh, Tyrion does, though, I think, make the big choice to stay. To stay. Shay. Shay wants to leave. This is the time she wants to leave. Later on, when given the opportunity to leave, 
by opportunity, I say, uh, a bag of uh, a bag of coins and told, why don't you head on out? Um, she doesn't make that choice then, but Shay wants to leave. Now, and Tyrion all through this season is determined that he, he likes this game. He feels he's good at it, and he is. He's been told. And he saved the city, whether people remember that or not. So when faced with the choice to leave and go and start a brand new life with Shay across the narrow sea. He does not make it. He wants to stay. Um, fateful, fateful indeed. A lot of twists and turns coming. I feel bad for Shay in this moment. I think later on she makes a decision, her own decision, uh, as best she can. She, she fights against something that's again, uh, was kind of forced on her. The, the get on out of here. Uh, she she makes a decision against that, preserving some of her agency, and I, I kind of can, uh, can support that. But here, um, she can't really leave on her own. I, I guess she could have found a way, but it just wouldn't have been the same. And she has a real love for Tyrion here. And Tyrion has a real love for her. I'm not saying he chose uh, King's Landing over her, but again, I think he makes the choice he wants to make, and it affects her. So we're off and running with all these uh, key choices, but then we go into this great sequence um, that has got some choices in it, but it's it's the politics of the land. And this idea of uh, the Tyrells have, have kind of made their choice to keep their connections to the Lannisters. It's a slow burn to their undoing. But this is just also uh, a, a big lesson scene. And I try not to go beat by beat and scene by scene. I love reviewing episodes just in a in a roundabout, different kind of way. But this this episode really just rolls it out, probably because it's a, a finale, and you just kind of have to have a clear cut. That person's there. This person's there. This is going on there. This episode really rolls out nicely like that, especially when you're talking about it eight, nine years after the fact. I love this scene. I love that they take from the books, Terry, to be Tywin, just uh, walking into the throne room on a horse like a boss. Uh, I was watching again with uh, my girlfriend Grace, and she's just like, "Why? Why?" And I'm like, "I don't really know why. I don't really want to question why. I just want I want Tywin to walk in with a horse. What a statement! He doesn't need to. Episode doesn't need to. It's the same throne room. He like burst in there at the end of the the battle the previous week. The battle is over. We have won. He wasn't on a horse then. He's on a horse now. He wants the world to see the power that he is." Uh, like I said, there, there's some choices being made by Ty- Tyrells, uh, Baelish. But again, it's the politics of the land. Shout out to Varys in this scene for having some of the best shade on the show as he glares over at Baelish as Baelish accepts Harrenhal. Love that sequence. Uh, the Tyrells are smart. I love this moment. I think Marjorie gets the game. She, she was an all-star. She was a potential Hall of Famer if things didn't happen along the way, some out of her control. Uh, uh, but in this moment here, I, I don't, again, don't blame the Tyrells. It's a slow burn, like I said, to their undoing. Uh, they, 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 it's survival, and they're a power themselves. Uh, I, I think in, in some ways, because the, the gold of, uh, of casually talk is, is drying up or, or has even uh, dried up by this point, the Tyrells might have more power than they, they even know, but they just, they're not in the true pole position. This is something they have to do. But for this scene, to me, the focus is on Sansa. We literally see up, we look it up at Sansa. She's looking down on, on, on the politics at play. And she's putting up a great face. I think she thinks she's playing along. She's playing the part as best she can. Uh, doing the um, the tears. Oh, my God, I was engaged to Joffrey. Now I'm not. And then she cuts, walks away. And the, the great cutaway. And then she's smiling and laughing. I love that moment. I love Baelish showing up there. Oh, Baelish. 
Oh, Baelish. You got to love Baelish. You really do. I love this scene. I love the the quote, which isn't a, it isn't a Baelish quote in the books, if, if memory serves. But the look around you, we're all liars here, and every one of us is better than you. This scene, this whole sequence to me, this big lesson uh, for Santa is, is, is looking where she ends season one, where um, she plays the game because she, uh, she's not in a, in a great position to do anything, but she, she plays it and it gets her father killed. I'm not, I'm not putting that on her shoulders, but, but it's part of this thing. And, 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 and she looks when she looks up at her father's severed head at the end of season one, episode 10, I think she's set, She's now on a path to where she, she's got to be stronger. She's got to uh, make those choices. You can go back and, and, and look our review of that, that episode. But all through season two, she's being a little more, she's more powerful. She, she's trying to get ahead of it. There's a lot going on. I think she's still kind of flailing about, flailing about. She's faced with some of those hard truths we always talk about from the hound, learning real lessons. And this is a, this is a painful one. Uh, what Baelish is basically saying to her is, is this, this is the game. This is the politics. And you can't just walk away from it. You were not free. When you went down the king's road, and try to go to this fairy tale princess life that you wanted. You're in it, and you're going to be in it forever. So how are you going to be in it? We're all in it. We're all liars, and we're currently better than you. There's some really heartbreaking naivete on her. Well, Joffrey's. I'm free. Joffrey's going to marry Marjorie. Boo hoo! I'm 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 sad. I'm going to head on down and head on home. And it's like that you. I love when Baelish was like, did you really think Joffrey would give up his toys? No, absolutely not. And it's Baelish uh, getting his claws in there. We know what he's thinking now. We know what he wants to get to. He's trying to, oh, your mother was like a sister to me. Oh, come on. You see Sansa kind of saying, oh, here's someone that can help me. She doesn't have a lot of people that can help her. She's lost in this world. And she wants to break free of it. And in this moment, Baelish is saying, "You, you don't break free. And you've got to learn it. And she's still got a ways to go. And I, I jump ahead to season four. Black dress Sansa is uh, someone in the game, but uh, where it all ends up with her. Uh, Sansa, Queen Sansa of the North, man. She doesn't leave it. She learns to master it. She learns to be ahead of the game. And this is one of those moments looking back where she she realizes she's going to have to follow that path because she can't get off of it. She can't get out of it. She can't go home. Powerful stuff there. Back to the choices. Two great scenes. Tragic in their own ways. Uh, Roz. You got Varys. He's smart. He doesn't like Baelish. That shade has been thrown at Baelish. And now he goes to uh, recruit Roz. And Roz, I think, has to make this choice to help Varys. She already knows. Uh, she might feel some loyalty to Baelish, at least early on. Uh, he kind of uh, helped... Uh, uh, you know, raise her, her status a little bit here, but it's not going well. We know it's good. She is terrified of Baelish, as Varys says you should be. So uh, she, uh, as we know, makes the choice to help Varys. Uh, I don't think she could, I mean, I guess she technically, Roz could have gone back from that choice, but she needs to go for it. She needs to make this choice. It's all you can do to survive. She's one of the characters that struggles to be in control. Uh, not her fault. I love Car- the Roz's character. The guy's made Bianco. Uh, is such a great performer. And um, uh, real always always credit to her to what she brings to this role. Um, and uh, love this little scene here again. Making choices. Faced with an option. 
and Roz chooses to work with Varys. Just as Brienne and Jamie on the road, uh, Brienne is faced with some choices. Though, here's the thing about Brienne, when you think about Brienne, this is why we love Brienne around these parts, is uh, uh, Brienne of Tarth, I think, has already made these choices. It's one, and especially in watching this episode and looking back, I think that's what is so... Um, just so pure uh, about Brad. Why, why we love this character so much is she's she's already on this path. Vows and who she serves is a question she very much knows. I think in the past, uh, even prior to the you know Ren, Renly in, in the Kingsguard uh, situation at the beginning of this season, I, I think um, I think uh, she has uh, been on this path. She's already made choices. Uh, her loyalties in her life. She just she just uh, has a real clear cut view of what she wants to do and what she wants to get out of this. And I always say, much like the Hound, in, in her own way, uh, she's more of a knight than actual knights. And and jump ahead to season eight when she becomes one. That's uh, why it's such a powerful moment. But uh, she's about her vows. But uh, this scene is interesting to me because um, her and Jamie walk up, and you you three see the uh, three women hanged. Uh, it's uh, brutal and it's disturbing, and and Jamie knows the truth of it. Jamie sees the truth of it. It was Stark men that did it. So Brienne does make a choice, and she makes it in front of Jamie. Jamie sees the choice. She kills these Stark men in one of the great little actions. Oh, you're rooting for? Wait, she she slices them. Two quick deaths, one slow. It's it's a tense scene. It's a great scene. One of the little things I love about the scene, now it's shot on location, clearly. A lot of wind in season two. A lot of a lot of wind throughout all of Game of Thrones. Uh, winds of winter everywhere, but uh, the winds of winter just whipping around. But this particular scene, when the tension really gets going, when you think she's about to get away, when you think her and Jamie are going to be left alone by these a-hole Stark men, that's when the one of the guys recognizes Jamie and the winds just kick up. So whether it was uh, an active God or some big uh, airplane size, uh, engine size uh, fans, I don't know. I'll dig into the behind the scenes over there. I just love that little touch, though, as it, it really starts to kick up. It's a great little uh, addition to the tension of the scene. Again, Bran makes a choice. Kills these three Stark men. Very clear. I don't serve the Starks. I serve Catelyn. Doesn't even say, really say Catelyn's name. I serve Catelyn. And Jamie Lannister, you're part of that vow I took and that vow I made. This clearly drives uh, Brienne through all of the show. So when thinking about this scene, go with me here. This scene is Brienne making this choice. I'll kill these guys. Jamie, I love the look from Jamie Lannister. Like, look, oh, wow, look at this. Sees her in a different light. He's probably a little scared, too. He listens to her orders from that point on. But just really absolutely sees her in a light. I... I wonder, I, 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 hear me out here. I think this scene is as asking us as viewers, us as fans, who are we serving? What is our choice? It is this great scene. It's key for so much for these characters. But we're, we're without a doubt, we're rooting for House Stark. You know, I got my, uh, for those watching, I got my Night's Watch hat on because always that's my favorite house. I joined the Night's Watch, but watch. But everyone's got... Their favorite houses, everyone, uh, you know, Targaryen, Stark, Tully, uh, you know, Manderley. I'm sure there's some Manderley fans. Everyone's got their ha- house. And when you're watching the show, especially after season one and all through season two, we're, we're, we're probably rooting for House Stark, capital H, capital S, as a home team. 
We're rooting for him to win. We have the individual favorites, but I think season two, really. Now, by end of season one, if you're paying attention, you know there's all these wonderful, complicated shades of of gray, if you will, in the show, and blah, blah, blah. That's that's, that's been talked about a lot by me and by others, and and it should be talked about. It's, It's part of the appeal of the show. But I think this particular scene really challenges us fans. You're rooting for Al Stark? Those are Stark men. And this is what they did to those women. This is how brutal they are. Look at how they're treating Brienne. Look at how they're looking down on Brienne. Yeah, they would have killed her if they really wanted to. I don't know if they could have, but they would have tried. These are Stark men. We love House Stark. And I'm not throwing every house into the fire. I'm not, I'm not saying Danny burned them all. But I'm definitely not condoning anything the Starks are doing here. And I remember watching this first time, and it's still kind of at play when you watch this scene. Ooh, who am I rooting for? Now you're starting to root for the individuals. That's what it's about. Ah, sure, overall, House Stark. I'll, you know, I think I think House Stark, I think the leaders of House Stark probably have better hearts than a lot of other houses, maybe. But uh, after this, I wasn't necessarily just rooting for the Starks of Winterfell. Great scene where we as fans start to make choices. We got a couple great choices here. We got Rob. We got Stannis. We got Theon. Choices, choices, choices. Every one of them is given a path. Rob Stark, keep your promise to Walder Frey. Do not do this thing, marrying Talisa, for passion, for love. Oh, that sounds great. Catelyn Stark telling Rob, but hey, me and, your, me and your father didn't love each other. It was not a marriage of passion. It was a marriage of duty. And look what we built. You need this bridge, but more than that, you made this vow. This is going to hurt you. And I remember because I, I, I came uh, late to the Red Wedding, read uh, book three after season three. Uh, that's my journey of Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire. So in this moment, I'm kind of down on Catelyn. Come on, Mom, come on. Me and Talisa got something. Let those crazy kids do it. They can deal with the phrase. I had no idea that was coming. But when you go back now and, and go back uh, the moment after you uh, watch the Red Wedding for the first time or even read about it, you go back and look at the, 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 the season two episodes with, with Rob when he starts doing this. Um, I feel for him. I feel for him. But this is the big choice. It's, it, it's, it's love, not just vows, but just love for just like your word. And it's a tough, I don't know if I would have done any different. I don't know. But he makes a choice. Stannis Baratheon, licking his wounds on Dragonstone. Melisandre presents him a choice. He takes her neck in his hands. It's not one of Stannis' great moments, but he's got anger and passion, and he he probably could have killed her. She was going to probably let him. Who knows about her powers? She takes her hands Chris Van Houten doing so good. Stannis is given a choice. She leads him to the flames and says, here's what you want. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? A battle in the snow. We know what's coming. We think, we hope. If you're watching along at that moment, Stannis could have stopped. Stannis could have stopped. I don't know what becomes of him. I don't know if the Lannisters hunt him down or, uh, you know, try to take Dragonstone. I don't know if he flees. I don't know the path that's there, but he cannot get away. 
Season two, Stannis uh, starts to, starts the slow. We we meet him, and very quickly he's he's uh, sacrificing who he is for his desires, for what he feels is is his, and what he feels he has a right to. Which I don't think in itself in and of itself is a bad starting point, as just Stannis's lessons, as we always say here, is about uh, his uh, desire just consuming every part about him. So the sacrifices he make, he could have. I'm a Stannis guy. He could have backed away. I mean, I'm still here rooting for him. I'm like, no, Stannis, go. Go. Just like I'm thinking, Rob, go marry Talisa. That's not going to hurt you. I'm thinking, Stannis, go for it. You're the rightful king. Battle in the snow. Get up there. Fight the White Walkers. You got this. You're the king, man. Look where that ends up. He has a choice. Left, right. He chooses what he chooses. And we know what happens. Theon. Oh, Theon. Horrible stuff happens because of Theon in season two. He has completely lost himself. Completely lost himself in the pursuit of trying to choose a family or find out where he belongs or getting the, the approval of his long-lost father, his sister, the Greyjoys, everyone around him. Poor Theon. I actually do have a lot of sympathy for Theon. And it's this moment. He is given a plan by Maester Lewin. Escape. Take the tunnels out of Winterfell and head to the wall. He won't do it because he's afraid, I think, his choices have already sealed his fate with John. It's really interesting to take this moment. We always talk in this show uh, about things that have more meaning now. We'll get to some of that, but this one pops up now for me. Go to, uh, what is it, season seven on Dragonstone. John and Theon have a wonderful, powerful moment. Can't wait to discuss it later on here on Casterly Talk. But John kind of. Uh, I guess forgives him in a way. More than that, just kind of says, you're Stark and Greyjoy, you are both. It's a powerful emotional moment. And I love taking that moment and playing against this particular moment. I think Maester Lewin's right. I think it would have worked. I think uh, there's 500 of uh, Bolton men. Uh, I think uh, Theon could have gotten on the tunnels and found his way north to the wall. I really think it would have worked. When faced with that choice, he says no to that. He accepts his fate. He's broken already. But really, it's because he fears what John will do. He doesn't, uh, cannot comprehend of any kind of uh, forgiveness in John's heart. He doesn't know what's going on with John, of course. But just he's picturing John sitting at Castle Black, just uh, drinking some beer and having a turkey leg, like he's waiting for a ride at Disneyland, and and he just thinks John's going to put a sword in his heart. He has reason to believe that would be true because of what he's done. Uh, this is why I have sympathy for Theon. He's he's really broken at this point. When uh, given the choice, escape. Or face your fate. He chooses fate. He chooses to be resigned to his fate. He doesn't make an active choice for himself because he's broken, and we know where that goes. Poor Theon. Arya Stark is offered a choice to go with Jagannagar. If you want to learn, you must come with me, he says quite plainly. Um, she stays. I ask myself this, is this the right choice? I think she needed, like with life, I don't know. You can't tell at the time. You just got to go with your gut instinct and make the right choice and see where it takes you. The events of uh, season three and into season four, there's so much with Arya, but I think she needs her time on the road with the Hound. We need it because it's the greatest sitcom uh, spinoff the Game of Thrones ever gave us. She wasn't ready. The question I often ask myself is, does... does uh, does Jagan know that? Does Jagan Hagar know that? Or, or the man who is wearing the mask of Jagan Hagar? Does he know that? 
Does he feel? He doesn't necessarily have the force. He can't see the future, can't feel the future. I think if she said yes at that time, he would have taken her. He would have said, let's go to the House of Black and White and we'll train you. We'll do this. Um, I think this scene connects wonderfully to what I feel the character of uh, Jack and Hagar, who again was brought back for the show, not so much the case in the books. Um, though we got, no, no, we can see where that story goes in the books. Come on, George. Um, but I always, I always feel there's part of me that really believes Jag and Hagar wanted to get her over there to train her in the ways of not just the faceless men, but just everything about just, just he needs to break her down to rebuild her into who she needs to be. I really do believe that's part of the, his purpose. Whether or not the character actively uh, chooses that kind of uh, path with her. I, I don't know. But this moment, I often wonder, does she make the right choice? Yes, we now know she makes the right choice. Uh, how different would it have been? Would the list have grown? Would she become just more hard-hearted? Would it have just been a uh, base, uh, kind of base-level sense of revenge and it needed to grow? I don't know. I don't know. She would have still learned the skills, but maybe she would have remained no one. Jumping ahead to season six when Arya, Arya leaves and, and, and tells Jagan, I, I am Arya Stark of Winterfell. I'm going home. The smile, the look on his face, to me is a... I take that moment and I and I put it with this moment in season two, episode ten. I, I, they're bookends for me. Jagan Hagar says, "Come with me. You, you want to learn what I do? You want to cross names off your list?" He says that you, you got a long list of names. I can teach you how to cross them off. I think he trusts that the right thing will happen. He has some kind of faith in all these gods, and maybe just the process. So take that, the offering of the the coin, and put that at the end of season six, where she stomps off. He kind of gets a smile, like mission complete. Love that moment. Again, I don't 100% know. You, you you tell me what you feel about Arya's choice in this moment. It's a great what if. We love our what ifs here, especially when they're tied into the themes and lessons. Uh, we got some more choices with Osha, Bran, Hodor, and Rickon. Uh, are they giving a choice? Yeah, they're giving a choice. Uh, Maester Lewin is there. The horrible stuff that happens with Theon. Oh, man, Maester Lewin uh, and uh, Dagmar. Uh, they've got to go. Let's... That's the choice, but uh, they could have gone south. They could have gone south, but Bran, uh, you know, they needed to go north, and they're going to go north, and that choice is made, and we, we go on to season three and beyond. I love that scene. So uh, big choices there. Final choice. Uh, we got a lot of Danny stuff, by the way. Um, I want to talk about that in a little bit of a different light. Danny always makes some choices, and she... She makes a, a survival choice here at the end uh, in her journey in Karth. But uh, to me, it's it's more more things that play with Danny. But uh, John is faced with this giant choice. It's perhaps the biggest choice of his life. Uh, he has been spending season two learning about the world, just like Sansa's kind of learning about the politics of the land. We're learning uh, what Brand kind of shows us about. Oh, yeah, maybe all the houses are a little bad. I don't know. I don't know. John has this wonderful view of what his purpose is. He's a hero in his mind. And along the way, Egret has given him some uh, food, to, food to ponder, some food for thought, some, uh, uh, is a different view on who Jon Snow might be or who he thinks he wants to be, who he's associated with. But he still has those vows. I still think he believes in the uh, honor of the Night's Watch and Corn and, and Half Hand uh, kind of gives him that choice. 
John takes it. John kills Corn. Corn knew what the plan was. There's a plan. Um, and this goes. This flows beautifully into season three stuff. I can't wait to talk about season three, episode one. There's some great. Some of my favorite stuff is Mance and John Snow and Torment. Um, but I think so. John makes this choice. He picks up on, and it's and it's a plan. You you see it as a plan. Kill Corn, infiltrate Mance's army. And use that to help the Night's Watch and, uh, and hero and hero plan. I think a lot of that is is John uh, John Snow knowing that that's what to do and that's what he's got to do. So he makes that choice to do it. I think sometimes the choices uh, you, you make are even out of your control. Again, going back to the Arya moment, I think she needed to go on her crazy adventure with uh, the Hound. Um, you know, again, looking back on what ifs, John makes I think the biggest choice of his life thus far. Well. He makes it later. He, he makes a big choice in season five. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't happen unless this happens. He does not agree to save or die for the free folk until he learns about them. While he infiltrates them, until he's uh, uh, f- f- kind of forced to question uh, his thoughts on the wildlings from um, Egret, and he does uh, do his duty. Plunges the sword into the heart of Corn Halfhand. And uh, love uh, Egret leading them, seeing uh, Mance's army, the look on Jon Snow's face, just the reality of what he knows now they're up against. Like, this was worse than they were told or what they thought. Mance is gathering some armies. No, no, he's gathering a world, a world that wants to come down and destroy and conquer, as far as maybe Jon knows at that moment, what he's been told. That's all about to change. He wants to be a hero. He feels this is what he needs to do as a hero, and he makes the choice. But he's overwhelmed, and we'll pick up on that in Season 3. All right, I want to get to foreshadowing and things with more meaning. Uh, I don't. Um, Danny's making choices all along, going into the themes here. But uh, Daenerys Targaryen uh, is looking for her dragons. That's the big choice. Find my dragons, and she's found them. We go into the house of the Undyne. I, uh, I cite this sequence often, uh, uh, and I cited it often leading into Season 7 and Season 8. And uh, while I was uh, predicting Daenerys' path and, and her death, I was uh, and I don't love the prediction game. I'm not here as a pundit to, to predict and to ram my theories down throats of, of fans everywhere. I, I, I just love engaging with the story, but you also can't help but wonder, and that's part of the fun. I'll never take that away from anyone, especially myself. And I got to tell you, going into season seven, I was already thinking, Danny, one goes bad, two dies. Now, goes bad is a general term. It's way more complicated than that. And in the end, I, I think she made some bad decisions, but I don't still consider, I don't consider Danny bad. And I go to this sequence. Now, let's be clear. This is a shorter version than the books. We know that. Uh, we know there's a... Uh, 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 Quaith isn't involved in this one. There's no uh, seeing uh, seeing flames or candles and all this kind of stuff. And there's some wonderful additional stuff in the books. Important stuff in the books. And her vision's important in the book. But we have to separate the two. We have to. This sequence, they plucked what they needed. They plucked what they wanted. They plucked what they knew they were going to get to. Now, they do say that by season three, they were really, really forming up stuff for the, what they knew was going to come. Not that they weren't... Um, hadn't didn't have plans or thoughts of what was to come in season one and two. That's I always they just didn't know if they were going to get more shows, more episodes. As popular as Game of Thrones was right from the start, the numbers did need to grow. They were big numbers, but they got to be huge numbers. Uh, 
So I always take that. I always interpret that when Benioff and Weiss talk about that. Yeah, by season three, we knew this, but season three, and, and, and they say with, with Danny, as early as season three, they were putting stuff in the show to show you, show us where things could be going and what possibly could go. Again, it's always about choice. Choice is big. Choice, destiny takes you to that point of choice. Danny has a lot of choices to make. Danny has a lot of things done to her. Uh, Danny does a lot of things that I feel are right, even if they propel her to more uh, to her undoing. But I go back to season two. I still think they had this all in mind. I still think this is at play, and that's why I think the the visions is in in the show, shorter as it is, truncated as they are, it's important for this show's tale. Uh, running through the vision she sees in the house of the undying, Danny walks into the uh, snowy red keep, or is it ashy? It's the red keep set, and also, by the way, I pause just it's watching this after we, we got two seasons now that we're invested in the show, and there was always that weird kind of like one of the things about by season six, but definitely season seven and into eight. It was it was always weird to see certain characters now interacting with each other because they've just been in different parts. Season one, after about uh, after about uh, you know episode four, five, and six, in season one, the ca- everything's really splintered. The cast is splintered. Every every character is on their own path, and so to see some of those people communicating in the same scenes or characters that we'd only seen in the south and the north, characters we only seen in the east uh, to be there. Going to this moment, seeing Danny, I wonder if any of you watching or listening or like me, just seeing Danny on the Red Keep set was exciting. And it was exciting, too, because, you know, you might be rooting for her here. You might think, yeah, this is her destiny. She's going to sit on that throne. I've always, uh, and again, I'm going to, I'll dig into a little bit more behind the scenes on it specifically. To me, it, it is it is snow. She walks into a destroyed Red Keep, which right away, right away was intriguing. Just a sexy level of intriguing of, whoa, Red Keep, look up, the sky, it's all destroyed. What's going to happen to King's Landing? What does that mean? It's snowy. You think it's snow. Winter is coming. I do believe that was the design. That was the intention. But I always, t- always kind of have a little bit of room for ash, that it was ash. We saw it as snow. Maybe Danny saw it as snow, and maybe it was snow. But you can't deny when you go to season eight and the Bells episode, uh, you look at it and go, yeah, eh, maybe it was Ash all along. Maybe the vision was from Danny's perspective and she just couldn't see. I don't know. One of those fun things, it's kind of a, a headcanon kind of take on that scene. But uh, what an intriguing moment. And here's where it is. I, I, I uh, go to If you go to season eight, she gets to that throne, you know. She never really doesn't. We don't see Danny sitting on the Iron Throne. Uh, she barely touches it. It's like an ET finger on that throne. Go to this moment. Go from that season eight moment to this season two moment. Same thing. Walks up to the throne. It's her throne, right? It's the Targaryen throne. In her mind, and maybe our mind, she never gets to it. It's not a vision of her sitting on it. It's a vision of her almost getting there. And then she goes. North beyond the wall, it's the greater threat. This is, we know, where she loses her dragon. And she, uh, I feel, sacrifices so much for what she feels kind of like she needs to do, but I think feels also she gets little in return for that. She saves the day. It's, uh, you know, Stannis saves the day, but it's a different undoing. Daenerys makes the right choice, saves the day north of the wall, loses a dragon for it, and doesn't really even get the love of the kingdom for it. So I think that's part of the vision. It's also telling us there's more to come. There's an important thing out there. And then finally reunites with Drogo. Great line. Uh, maybe I'm dead. I don't know it yet. 
Um, and I always took this, um, not saying I'm right, not saying I'm wrong. I just, I've always taken this part of the vision as it relates to the show as her death. Uh, it was a great moment. Justin Momoa back, great lines, just a great little cameo scene. Uh, you get to see their kid. I'm not saying that that's what happened after she passes on and uh, uh, Drogon takes her away. Uh, I, I think in my heart, I'd love this to be the case, reunited with her true love. Uh, kind of what could have been, what maybe what should have been, uh, though Drogo certainly had his uh, uh, dark side, uh, his, uh, his uh, violent side, so who knows what kind of a king he would have been. We've talked about that before here on the show. Um, it's a comforting moment, it's a peaceful moment, but it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, especially now. I love these three back-to-back uh, visions. Uh, and to me, we talk about choices. This is an episode about choice. Danny's already made some choices in Karth and, and some great some great lessons. Um, we'll talk about that in a second here. But this, this all represents uh, possible choices to me. Not the true end, but the paths. Um, and she rejects it. She's shown it all, but she rejects it at this time. She turns from the choice to, to reunite. Uh, return, uh, she, she turns from this choice to reunite with the dragons. Uh, uh, and, and, and on this path, on that path, when she reunites with those dragons, what happens? Uh, Piat Pri, uh, uh, the chains come up. She's captured. It's a wonderful, crazy little sequence, little mind-bending sequence. Like, what are you watching? What's real? What's not? Their powers are growing. They explicitly state. Yeah, um, we just maybe sat around uh, doing card tricks and drinking Essence of Nightshade, but your dragons come back into the world and our powers have grown and look at us now. I think they presented her these choices of her life. And at the time, who knows, if you were to show me a choice I need to make in 10 years, I might misinterpret it myself or I might have only my perspective of where I am right now. Danny can only see that for what it is. The the conquering of the Red Keep, uh, the Iron Throne, that's still her throne in her mind. She doesn't necessarily see, again, the snow, the ash, or the, or, or, or the, the broken walls, walls that she'll break. She doesn't see that. Uh, the choice to go north. And if you go north, perhaps you'll be reunited with Drogo. She can only see that. But she t- walks away from that. She gets out of that vision and immediately chooses fire and blood. It's our first real powerful Dracarys. A little tiny Dracarys, but it works. And this is also me. I always go, I think a lot of the choices Danny makes, even though, again, they send her on the path that we know will be, uh, you know, her undoing, as we keep talking about here in this episode, I always think she makes the right choices. It's this weird, just, it's this weird uh, paradox. She's chained up. She's got to make this choice. She has to choose fire and blood. And once again, choosing fire and blood gets her out of the situation. It is a victory. It's not even a false victory. It's a victory. She doesn't do that. She's there forever. Story done. Jor's outside screaming, Khaleesi, Khaleesi, can't get in. That's it. That's that's, that's where it goes. It's a great scene. It's a great moment. And I love looking at this moment. I love looking at those visions now that we have the complete picture. And what were you seeing in that moment? You know, what were you seeing? I always we're rooting for Danny. It's what Tyrion tells us. All along, we're cheering for her, as you should. I really think you should be. But it's what the world does around her. It's how the world treats her. How they don't accept her. The way they accept her. It, it, the way they look. It's all these things around Danny. And sometimes the truth is right in front of us, or at least the choice that this character might make, and we don't see it that way. 
and Danny doesn't see it here at this point too. And why would she? Well, is she going to see the that Iron Throne? She almost touches it because oh, uh, I think I earned this the wrong way. I'm out. Nah, nah. She's going to do what she feels she's going to do. And then as you get to the next choice, you make the next choice and so on and so on. This episode is about choices. And this was perhaps showing us some of the big choices she has yet to make. Again, she settles the score with Zorro and Dorea. I mean, settles. Yeah, it's it's a score. You know, Dorea deserved it. I I like Dorea. She deserved it. Uh, But do you deserve that kind of death? Do you deserve? I don't know. We're rooting for her, though. We should. We should. Once again, she's got the cold stares like when her brother dies in season one. She's got those um she's got those uh those stares and, and, and we're cheering. And it's another victory for Danny. Fire and blood has gotten her a victory. Uh but the big lessons uh in Karth, of course, are uh you know there is uh, the episode in which uh in which uh, uh, Danny's dragons are taken or a couple episodes back. Zaro says a man is what he says he is. And we talked a lot about that theme for that episode. Uh, this is the lesson. Danny's uh, learning the truth behind that. Uh, and the the big lessons here, you know, too, with Danny's is, I think we talked about Carthus uh, as Carthus taught her, taught her, taught her to stop asking for help. It's been well documented in interviews and shows and breakdowns of season two. Danny is in Carth spending the whole time, Asking everybody for help. She's going to stop that. She's going to stop that. Great stuff with Jorah. We talked about that. Um, and, and, and she's going to take what she wants. And what she wants is to conquer. Yes, it's in season six. The end of it. When Dario Naharis tells her, you're a conqueror, Daenerys Stormborn. I don't know if she ever fully grasped it. I don't know. But I think also she did. I think she knows that's what she has to do. She's no longer going to be in the position of asking for help because this world does not want her to be in that position. It does not allow her as a woman, as a Targaryen, as a ruler. No one wants to help her. That's not her fault. It's not her fault. Karth has taught her. The entire sequence in Karth, Karth has, has really taught her. A lot of choices for me to make, but the biggest choice is I'm no longer going to ask for help. I will be in control. And she definitely does. Definitely does. Favorite moments, lines, and scenes. Uh, we talked about Tywin's reward. I love the horse scene. The Varys' uh, mighty uh, look of shade when Baelish was rewarded. Baelish got some great lines, too. I should. I need to acquire some grandsons. Uh but the other Varys uh, Conleth Hill man, uh, the the great sequence with Roz, and when she puts her hands between his legs, and there's nothing there, and just that great shot again, a shot beautifully, great direction by Alan Taylor, just kind of through through Roz's arms, you just see his his head look up. I love everything about Conleth Hill; he is great. Uh, I talked about uh, one of the lines, uh, not necessarily Baelish was in the books, but look around you, we're all liars here. Every one of us is better than you. And every one of us is better than you. Uh, that could just be one of the themes for the show, right? For what's going on there. And one of the reasons I think we're pulled in by this show, too, by the way. Also, this line means so much more because later on, when Sansa kind of tosses it back at him and tosses everything back at Baelish, I love that. As a Jorah fan, I got to tell you, I think it's a seminal, iconic moment. But Jorah 
Ian Glenn bellowing from his soul, Khaleesi. Uh, that must have been on my ringtone. I should make that my ringtone. Love that. Uh, love the, um, I guess this, this is what, again, going back to watching this in 2012, the little, the faceless man thing. And, uh, you know, props to Dorea in season one and the, that, uh, uncomfortable bathtub scene with Harry Lloyd as, uh, as Viserys. Uh, when she says, "I've seen a man that can uh, change his face," like uh, you, you miss all that if you're, you know, that's why you need to go back on the show all the time. Uh, but to, so I, I hadn't caught Dorea really saying that in the bathtub. Hadn't read the books. No one really told me, and I loved that I got to experience this moment pure. When Jack and Agar pulls back and he's got a different face, uh, and he's a member of the First Order, that performance in uh, Last Jedi, um, I, I did not know what I was watching. And I'm intrigued. And I know some people, uh, oddly enough, are there, they're there, in Ga- they're, they're here in Game of Thrones for the politics and the intrigue and the character stuff and a lot of the magic, even the dragon stuff. Well, I know a lot of friends who are just like, hey, yeah, I started to pull off the show when magic came in, which is, and I'm not even like a huge fantasy D&D guy, but I'm just like, well, that, you know, did you know what show you're watching? There's like ice zombies in the first 30 seconds of the show. Did you think it was all politics that you were watching West Wing? I don't know. But this moment, I love it. It's great. Dragon's great. Uh, bum, uh, you know, I'm glad we get to see him later. I'm glad he returns in the show. Bummed that we doesn't get, we don't get to spend more time with him. Uh, I talked about it uh, with uh, uh, Jon Snow making uh, his uh, decision with Corrin Halfhand, and then Egret uh, takes on Rose Leslie. So, so great, uh, Rose Leslie. I just love her delivery of of time to meet the king beyond the wall. It was so intriguing. You heard this name, Mance, uh, all through the show, but season two is just growing and growing and growing. Who is Mance and what he's doing? Kieran Hines is warming up in the bullpen to come on and just have some, uh, not a lot of screen time. And, and Kieran Hines, not a lot of screen time in Game of Thrones. Every moment, every line, it's a, it's just a just a home run from Karen Hines, and we are we're gonna get all that. We're gonna get all that. But time to meet the king beyond the wall. Just one of those little moments. I love him, and and uh, Kit Harrington, look in his face. Just again the the hero's journey he thinks he's on, and he's on a bit of a journey. But he thinks he's on this hero's journey, and that journey just got immensely more difficult and immensely more overwhelming and immensely more tough. So I uh, love that moment. And then we get to the end of season two. Remains one of my favorite moments in the show. Uh, I have listed it as perhaps my favorite. And I think it was our, our pal Eric Monroe who, who asked a favorite end of a show, not the end of end of season eight, but season one, two, five, three, four, five, six, seven. How do you love how the seasons end? I always... I always go to this one. They set you up for that third horn blowing all through the show, but again, specifically this season. Samuel Tarly is always talking about his books, and there's a couple just explicit moments where he's talking about, well, and they they blow a third horn if it's uh, these uh, ice zombies uh, that no one's seen for a thousand years. And we, even though we know they exist... Even though the show has started with it in season one, episode one, and then it's it's part of John's journey in season two, early on at Craster's Keep. Even though that's in the back of our head, the show does such a good job of just jamming all of the other politics and fights and power and Blackwater Bay. It's all in your head. When the because you think it ends in Karth, you, you got her dragons back. The Piat Pri's burning, and all the Piat Pri clones are burning. 
Uh, Zaro and Dorea are locked away for a slow, uh, just gruesome death. And they're pillaging Zaro's house, and they're going to get some ships. Jorah's like, yeah, it's a, you think that's the end? Fade out, fade into the wall. Ed, Gren, Sam, digging up uh, manure there, uh, digging up some some uh, horse pies uh, to uh, burn for fuel just to keep warm. I didn't know what to expect. Again, I'm watching season two without the knowledge of the books yet. I had book one in my head. I'd already read book one before season two, but I, I um, this moment, going blind at this moment. I still think, and in my fan, and I hope if you're listening, you probably love Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire as much as I do. And I love to, I love to love these things with all of my heart, not always necessarily my mind. That gets in the way. It's my heart and its reactions and it's the chills and it's the excitement and it's the intrigue. Horn one blows. Hmm. Horn two. Oh, I, I'm buying it. I'm like, oh, wildlings are attacking. When that third horn bellows. The chills I got down my spine, the dread, the fear, because you had forgot about it. Samwell's telling you all along. You hear they find the 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 obsidian, they find the dragon glass, everything. They're they're at the fist of the first men. They're at the fist of first, and something drove the first men here. They came here for some reason. It, it's ominous. It's John Snow talks about it. Sam talks about it. that third horn horn blows, and I was shaking in my boots. It is a great sequence. It's wonderful. It was a water cooler moment. Season one, Ned Stark. Uh, I think uh, a lot of moments around Ned, his death, Baelish putting the knife to his throat, um, uh, the sex position. Season one's got a lot of those water cooler moments, those pop cultural kind of terms and discussions. Season two, I don't think got the credit for the story it was telling, what it was presenting, uh, these different kings and how they uh, view ruling of the land, the battle of perspectives, these choices, the hero's journey that people think they're on. Danny and John, I think, think they're on different kind of journeys that we're about to learn. All that's being presented. Season two is layered and deep. But how many water cooler moments does it have? Uh, Battle of Blackwater Bay, I think, has it. You know, you're, you're, you're pissed off that the Lannisters won, but also yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff's at play. I think this was the moment. I remember going on Facebook first more than any other uh, social media platform and just seeing all my friends just spoiling it. Spoiler culture was a little different back then too, huh? Um, uh, and, and just seeing everyone just, I remember one of my friends <laughs> just typed out, uh, and now there's zombie horses. And it was such a fun shared experience. Fun moment. And this is why it remains. I still, if I'm ranking things, ranking things is dangerous in these shows and, and properties like Star Wars and Game of Thrones and beyond. I don't like to rank so much with a serious uh, level of ranking. But I, I think I might put this as my favorite ending of a season. I don't know what you guys think. If you're kind of new to the show, I want to know. Comment below here on YouTube or uh, reach out on Twitter. Uh, let me know. Episode stars, we always like to highlight some folks. Uh, I want to highlight Donald Sumter as Maester Lewin. This is his exit. Just such a wonderful performance. And it's a real, you feel the warmth, especially season one. And his death is still hard. To, I still watch it now and it doesn't have to happen. I do blame Theon, but I, I blame uh, uh, Dagmar uh, more than anybody. Uh, maybe happy of what Ramsey maybe did to him. And uh, his ending and, and Osha with the sword, it's, it's really sad. It's really tragic, but it's also, he's just such a warm character. And Donald Sumter is such a great performer, seasoned actor. Uh, and like so many on Game of Thrones with 
a small amount. His, his the shadow of his performance still hangs over. I remember when by the time we get back to Winterfell in season seven and eight, and Maester Volcan, uh, God bless him, he's just doing his job. Um, I missed with, 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 with Sansa and Arya and Bran all uh, roaming around Winterfell season uh, seven and eight. I missed Maester Lewin. I just wish you would have seen him. Uh, seeing what would have uh, happened to, to all the kids he helped raise. Uh, other one, I got to shout out uh, Julian Glover's uh, Grandmaster Pycelle. Uh, the reason is he's a great character. And, and Julian Glover himself, of course, Walter Donovan, General Veers, uh, he's, 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 he's uh, in this. He's got a good trifecta of big, big uh, pop culture roles. Um, he does so much with uh, this character. He's so intriguing, especially after season one. And, you know, you, you, our time we spend, when you look back, it, it's, it's um, he's always, uh, he's, he's the butt of jokes. He is, uh, he's looked down upon. He is not the conniving, scheming master as a maester that we maybe thought he was going to be after season one. Again, I don't necessarily think that's... Um, necessarily the point of the character. He's just one of the many playing the game. He's part of an old regime. Uh, he's creepy. He's not a lot of, a lot of good things about him. I'm not, I'm not rooting for Pycelle most of the time. But Julian Glover is such a good performer. And I was, I was, I gotta say, oddly disappointed uh, to, to see an interview with Julian Glover, who's nothing in him, but he's, a, he's an actor. He's, he wants the media role. He wants, he, he wants to be engaged by the roles he's uh, doing. And he kind of asked out of the show, kind of told him, I don't really want to come back for season six. And uh, if you watch the clip, you can look it up. He's basically said, you know, he's like, you know, Pycelle is uh, is a great character. You know, not, he's not necessarily saying he's a good guy, but he's a good, great character to play. But he just had to, he just had to take everything from Cersei. He couldn't fight back. There was, he was losing his power. And he does from season one, episode one, all the way to, he's losing his power. And that's part of the fun. That's part of what we enjoy about the character. But Julian Glover as a performer, just like, there's nothing, there's nothing there for me to explore anymore as an actor. They convince him to come back for season six. He gets the big ending. It's still more of the same. But think about it. I think some of the scenes with Cersei, a lot of the stuff with Cersei. Um, not that Pycelle doesn't deserve to be looked out upon or deserve to be kind of tossed aside, but uh, I always feel for Julian Glover. You know, you know, you want the performers you love to love what they're doing. And he didn't say that he didn't love being on Game of Thrones, but he's like, I felt the, the character had kind of wrapped up. They bring him back. I'm glad they did it for season six, but I want to shout him out because I think this is one of the scenes, uh, you know, and you're rooting for Tyrion, but when this, this episode begins and Pycelle, who, of course, early on in the seasons, uh, you know, uh, the whole thing with the gold for your troubles with, with the sex worker there and Pycelle gets his beard cut off, thrown in the black cells. And this is a one little moment where, with, where Pycelle gets a bit of a revenge, uh, gets a little bit of a one-uppance uh, of... Uh, of Tyrion, and, and I kind of like that. So shout out to Julian Glover for playing it so well, so swarmy, uh, a great moment indeed. So that is our look and uh, more at Season 2, Episode 10, Valar Margulis, and that means we're going to go soon into Season 3, Episode 1, uh, the 21st overall episode of Valor Doharis. All men must serve. We'll get to that probably in a week. I think we're going to do a special kind of news wrap-up here as we, again, make this transition to our own YouTube channel, part of the Good People Association. Check out the Good People Association at the GPA.fun. You can follow me at Ken Napsock. Use hashtag Casterly Talk. Uh, and if you are dis- in, you're in uh, the di- there's two Discord servers to actually discuss uh, uh, Casterly Talk. 
and more Game of Thrones with me if you are a Patreon supporter of my own page at patreon.com slash Napsock, or if you're a, uh, a, a member of the Good People Association, again, at the gpa.fun. That's not a Patreon page. It's a, it's a sustaining membership program. You get a link to that Discord for the GPA. We have the Casterly Talk section there. And then, and again, on my own at patreon.com slash Napsock, you can jump in there and talk uh, Game of Thrones with me as well. Looking forward to getting to Season 3. Looking forward to catch up on news. And uh, most of all, just looking forward to roaming around the world of ice and fire. We shall see you next time here on Casterly Talk.